This is the Tea with MSP podcast. Hi, and welcome back to the loudest LGBTQ student produced podcast, The Tea with MSP. I'm Morgan, co chair of National Student Pride and third year at King's College London. This podcast came to be to share some incredible stories from pioneers and students alike about growing up in the queer world and finding out who they, and you, are. This podcast and our 2021 festival would not be made possible without the support of our sponsors. Santander have been a major supporter of NSP since 2017 and this year are silver sponsors for the event. Their LGBTQ network, Embrace, has thousands of members in the UK alone and was recognised as a top 10 employer at the 2019 LGBT Awards. Thanks, Santander. I have some super exciting topics to introduce today with the crazy talented Rugal Divina De Campo. Divina discusses LGBT politics, Section 28, her life at the University of Manchester, and exactly how she grew her love of drag. Stick around to hear my lovely voice again in the outro, and of course, find out which queer pioneer is our special guest for episode three. Remember to subscribe and enjoy the tea with NSP and Divina De Campo. Now, should we get stuck in? Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. This is a new podcast by National Student Pride. I'm Reese James and this is my good friend, David. Lovely. David, would you like to tell the listeners what we're doing here today? Uh, so the podcast this year is all going to be about uh, people's experience between that ages from 18 to 22 and you kind of finding out who you are, go to uni or not, and, and basically just how that went. Fab. Sounds literally the best. Right, today you listeners have got a very special guest. Um, from a judge on the BBC to a contestant on the BBC, RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 1, in my eyes the winner, Davina De Campo. <laughs> oh, that's going to be murders! It's going to be bloody murders! <laughs> I'll get angry DMs. Oh. <laughs> oh. Um, easy one to start off with, Davina. Um, what was it like? You walk into that workroom, your season one. Like, what? Like, what is that experience like? I had the brownest knickers you've ever imagined in your life after I'd stepped into that workroom. Um, it was just a good job that I had four pairs of tights on. That's all I'm going to say. Keep it all open. <laughs> Notice I didn't sit down. <laughs> you did storm around a bit, but I was always wondering what that was yeah, about. You know, uh, shake it out. <laughs> maybe stink. <laughs> what, did you know who was going to be there when you walked in? Or was it a kind of surprise? No, no, no. They keep everything absolutely top secret. So you, uh, you're you in the, a hotel, but you don't see each other. You don't know that each other is there. You are kept... It's like lockdown, really. You're kept in your room and you're not allowed to leave. Like you cannot leave your hotel room without having somebody with you. Um, oh. Yeah. Oh, no, it's like, it's real. It's hardcore. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah. So you're telling me that you could not hear a bag of chips at some point in that hotel room? No, I, I, I refuse to I believe. Didn't, I didn't hear her, but apparently somebody did hear me. It's a lot, isn't I mean, who would have thought? It's a, did you know that like RuPaul was going to do it as well? Like, did you know all that stuff that RuPaul and Michelle Visage were going to do this this UK yes. version? 
Yes, we knew that because it actually on the initial advert for the applications, it said that RuPaul and Michelle Visage would be um, judging. And then also in the press that was happening uh, to kind of generate those applications, uh, it was confirmed that RuPaul was going to be judging on the show. Um, so we knew that. We didn't know who anybody else would be, though. Um, so we didn't know that it would be uh, Alan Carr or Graham Norton. So I was, let's, I guess, kind of take it a wee bit back. So Davina DeCampo, I guess before she was even Davina DeCampo, yeah. 16-year-old, <gasps> going right back, yeah. But, uh, what was what was your like experience like in like that kind of last years of school as part of the LGBT community? Like, what was it like? Yeah, you know what the uh, year te- year eleven year eleven year eleven of school actually um, was really great. Like, I still had problems with people outside of our year group, um, but generally inside of our year group, everybody was really supportive of each other and. And it hadn't felt like that, you know, year eight, year nine, year 10, didn't feel uh, the same as it did once we were in year 11. Obviously, people still had like disagreements and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, as, a, as a year group, for me, at least, because I was one of those, like, I had a, a friends group, but I would float over and hang with other people. And, you know, um, so we felt, for me, particularly, it felt much more kind of cohesive as a year group rather than, you know, that's the, they're the sports kids, those are the music geeks, those, and I was clearly a music geek, like absolutely <laughs> one of the geek kids. And I hadn't even realised I was a music geek until my best friend James was like, we were such geeks, weren't we, hanging around in the music department. I was like, I was not a geek. Oh my God, I was a geek. <laughs> I was, oh no. So did you know you were gay in school? Oh my God, yes. I was the flaming camp row of tents, like <laughs> running around the school. Ah, here we go. The hills are alive with the sound of penis. Ah. Like I was that gay. I was super gay. I, all, all I needed was like a rainbow stripe down my face to be more gay. Um, <sighs> Yeah, I was the screaming queen of the school. And there was, and I've always been like that. You know, it's not something that I've ever, it was, I wasn't trying to be that. I just was, and mm-hmm. I just am. So it, 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 it was, ne- you know, like some guys, when they finally come out, it's like they, oh, they put on all of those things because I want you to know I'm a homosexual so I can mm. suck your dick. Ah, oh, <laughs> yes. Like it wasn't like that for me. I just was like that. I am mm. the cliche. I've always loved Barbara Streisand and Julie Gar- Judy Garland and went to ballet class and I was in every choir and I was in the orchestra. And is that a musical theatre production happening? Oh, yes, I'd love to be in that. I'll be the lead in everything, but I can't be the lead because I'm so gay. So I'll be the supporting act instead. You know, it, like I was that gay. So yes, I was absolutely out at school. I came out at about 14. See, weirdly, all the exact same. Actually, we, um, we've we just done with like share your story campaign thing uh-huh. that we're doing at Student Pride. And I just did mine, came out at 14 as well, but I was like the opposite. I, I could pass a wee bit, you know, if, nice. you, if you scratch that surface, it was quite, it was rainbow spurt out, but like I pass a wee bit. And then um, we were telling Reese this before, actually, that I um, realized I wanted, I wanted to be a lawyer. Pfft, don't know why. Um, 
And I realized I wanted to be a lawyer by playing one in drama. And I was like, <laughs> should probably really great at this. Yeah. I love running yeah. around a courtroom and it's like, and it's I like get to wear up. a wig. <laughs> yes. And a big black dress. I love it. <laughs> Safe to say I don't work in, in the law. Not at all. Oh. <laughs> so what, what did you end up doing in, in uni? Um, I went to Manchester Metropolitan Uni and I did drama and dance. Um, it ended up being, so the degree that I got in the end was dance with drama because I did uh, music electives as well. So I did more dance than I did drama. Um, and it was in Crew and Alsager. The campus was in Crew and Alsager. So the, it's a split campus. It's all been knocked down now. There's nothing there. It's all overgrown. It's really <laughs> sad. It's actually really like tragic. So you love dance. You did dance at uni and drama. What was it like? Like, Did, did you see yourself change a lot in oh my those God. Kind of three yes. years? Yes, immeasurably. Immeasurably. I had been, um, I mean, apart from apart from learning what actual dance technique was <laughs> and, um, and how to be present and uh, in, in the room rather than, you know, in your head. I'm a real cerebral person. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy for me to get lost inside my own head, which, you know, if you watch Drag Race, you'll be able to see that. Um, that I, you know, and that's part of the anxiety and all of those things. Um, so... At university, I, I just became much kind of, uh, much better at articulating myself than I had been before. You know, before I would just go, fuck off. Whereas now I'll say, listen, I think you have a problem with. <laughs> so I don't think you should be here speaking to me. Goodbye. You know, um, I still tell people to fuck off. Of course I do every now and again, because they deserve it. Um, <laughs> but sure. uh, I, I became much much more capable of organizing my own thoughts and uh, also um, communicating those. Um, so I'd, I, like I'd always been a, a reasonably articulate person, but uh, I, our, our course, even though it's a, a practical subject, was very academic. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of writing. There was a lot of reading, um, which sounds ridiculous. I went to drama to do, I went to, university to do drama and dance and ended up spending 70% of my time writing essays and reading books. Yeah, um, yeah. Just so that anybody who's running those courses knows that's really disappointing when you <laughs> arrive. That's not what anybody wants. Nobody, nobody in the entire world wants to go to university to do drama and dance to write essays just so we're clear about that. How do you I think that's what I said as well? I said that about my, my, my degree. I did music and I was there like, I am writing more than I am singing or playing. Are you taking the piss? Yeah. <laughs> and as like, so you kind of came to terms with your sexuality quite young. Mm. Um, was it like, was there any kind of development in uni or were you kind of like for quite comfortable by the age of 18? I, I mean, I'd always been very comfortable because I'd always just been sort of of the opinion that um, I'm I, I'm not going to be with these people forever. So mm -hmm. I, I will be miserable now because I'm with these people who are vile and, you know, uh, but they're going to be stuck here, you know, because the, the kids who treat you like that 
are unfortunately the kids who've got really disordered home lives mm. and they have their own shit and all they're doing is projecting that onto you. Mm. So you look at these kids and you go, well, you're in the bottom set for everything and you're having a go at me. Well, I don't really need to worry about what you think because I know in two years time, I'm going to be able to go and do something and you're going to be here still. So sucks to be you. Sucks to be <laughs> me right now, but I've not, I'm not facing 50 years of what you are. Bye. <laughs> um, so I, I was always kind of very mercenary about that sort of stuff. University though, uh, because it was, we, there was a large arts department but then the sports science department was massive. Mm. And of course, you've got all of these sports kids who are just assholes. It was horrible. You know, mm. genuinely, it, it was horrible. We'd always be in like a corner away from them all. I never went in the main room because it's just uh, barbaric. And if I went for a piss, they'd be like pushing me and jabbing me and, you know, and saying shit. So it was like, you know, I took a year off uh, in between um, A-levels and university, partly because of that. I just needed to give myself some time to heal from school because it was barbaric, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I had great friends, but the rest of the school was barbaric. Um, so I'd taken time off and then going back into it, you know, you're experiencing those same things again. Um, not everybody, though, you know, there was uh, some of the jocks who would go to the gym really lovely. I mean, mm -hmm. particularly this one Irish guy. Holy shit, I wish he'd fucked me so bad. But <laughs> I mean, Christ. Oh, talk about There's always one, knickers. isn't there? Talk about <laughs> wet knickers. Every time I saw him, I was like, oh, please, daddy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for real, he was massive as well, like six foot five and then... Oh. Everything matched up in those shorts. Crikey, O'Reilly. Um, <laughs> Perfect man. <laughs> I mean, for real, yeah. Irish, dark hair, massive shalongadong. But anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> Keep going down that hole, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> thinking about him going down my hole, that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so um, you know, not everybody was like that, but there was mm. definitely still that. And it's because... A lot of people, uh, it's their first time away from home. They've been, we were never treated like, uh, we were never mollycoddled. Everything was hard, you know? If you'd done something wrong, you got told you'd done it wrong. You need to do this. There was, and we were always sent out to go away, do this, go do something. Um, so there was, we were made a bit tougher and a bit more thoughtful about other people because of that. Mm. Um, which I think a lot of people at 18, you're still kind of trying to navigate that. Who am I? How am I supposed to interact with these other people? Uh, and then there's this pack mentality as well, you know, that you're, oh, it's just part of the, ooh, mm. um, which is just, I mean, generally, that's just damaging for everybody. That's why male rates of suicide are so high because we don't teach men how to talk about their emotions and we don't teach them how to behave in a in an empathetic way, um, which if we did, you know, there would be a lot less of uh, everything bad. 
Yeah, literally. <laughs> the world would be a better place. <laughs> Let's just get a load more Jacinda Hearns. That would be great. Please, thanks. <laughs> so, so where does Davina come in to all this? Like, where, where, where was she born? How old is she? You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, Davina herself, herself, Davina herself is about six or no, she's probably about ten now. She's probably about ten now. But I had been doing. Um, I'd been doing drag, but not really thinking about it as drag at university. Mm -hmm. So whenever there was a costume party, I would go in drag, but not realize that it was drag because I was sort of cosplaying rather than doing drag. I I mean, I'd had a, in terms of uh, costuming and cosplay, I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wasn't doing that. I was like singing Italian arias and singing in choirs and doing musical theatre. So I didn't even know what any of this stuff was. And it was before YouTube was a thing and the internet had literally just been invented, you know, three, four years before. It was still going... <laughs> and your mum comes home and goes, who's on the phone? Get off the phone! Um, so... All of that stuff was still really uh, young and was just starting to happen. Um, so it was very difficult to kind of find that information unless you're reading it from uh, a, a, a book or, mm -hmm. you know, a, a periodical, you know. Um, so I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was turning up as like Christina Aguilera in the Moulin Rouge video, <laughs> or I was going as, uh, I don't know, some kind of female action hero. or You know, I was doing that. Um, Lara Croft was one of them. Oh, icon. Shaved my legs, took me three and a half hours. <laughs> and you and you know a drag queen from that. If, if that's how long it takes you to shave your legs. That's... I mean, yeah. Now I just wear 500 pairs of tights. Like I'm not shaving my legs, dude. Like that's not happening. Um, so I hadn't sort of realized that I was going out in drag, um, even though I was. And then I, uh, one of the electives that I took was the politics of performance. And that sort of took me down the route of reading about gender performativity, gender politics, um, all of those uh ideas and surrounding kind of influences and and those sort of things um and then that fed into the other stuff that i was doing um it, it, and it wasn't generally in my work it was in other people's work because i i was of the opinion that the more i can do and the more i can learn from other people the better placed i am in the future because this is not a practical course you know, so I was very aware that um, my contemporaries who were at a conservatoire were doing six or seven hours every day of practical work, learning, teaching. Um, and I was not doing that. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know everything and get as much experience as I possibly could. Um, so while doing that, being in other people's performance pieces, I was doing drag. Uh, or doing gender folk or, you know, so there was lots of kind of gender performance stuff happening in and around what I was reading in other things. Um, and that sort of uh, took me on the, on the drag journey. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a while before I got there for definite. You're talking about like gender, gender fucking stuff like that. Is that where you 
I guess it's a really wanky term to say, but like your political awakening happened then, or were you always quite a political person? I've I've always been quite political, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but m- my politics uh, definitely became much uh, much fuller while mm-hmm. I was at university. So the guy that I was seeing at the time was um, real real Labour. He loads of money. He had lo- he like he had loads of money. Um, <laughs> his his family had this big business and they he had a dividend every year from that he had a nice. great job he was working all over the world i was in his phone as carol um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so he sort of got me a bit more interested in politics and uh, um and from there i just got more and more and more interested in politics like on the show you talk about section 28 mm. and so I was, where age was that? I, I was have been 18 in 2009. Um, so I got it a little bit because we couldn't talk about mm. it in primary school. It was never a thing. Um, but it was sort of like hinted at because we're also a Catholic school. So we're, we're, you, you right. couldn't say anything. Yeah. Um, Let's not talk about homosexuality, but uh, just come with me, young man. <laughs> <laughs> but did you like... Is that something you were aware of, Section 28 stuff? Yeah, going on? it was actually, because I was really, really lucky. Uh, Kirk Lees ran a gay group for young LGBT oh, amazing. people. Yeah. Um, so every Wednesday, uh, there was group. Um, so I think from, I think I was oh, 16. I think I was like 16 when I started to go, in, go into group, but you could be 14, but I didn't know it was happening. Mm-hmm. you know, because none of that information was allowed in school. Um, and they also uh, gave us a, a much better understanding of, of what the legislation was around gay people and just a, a history, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it also gave us the, the chance to meet other gay people who were 15, 16, 17, 18, um, so that you don't feel so isolated. You know, because when you're the only queen in school, which I clearly wasn't, like everybody else came out after the fact, you <laughs> bastards. Um, but when you're the only queen in school, it's very uh, isolating. And especially when you're like the screaming queen in school. And then I can understand why all of these people didn't come out because, you know, you see all the flack that I'm getting and you go, I don't want that for me. Mm. Nope. No, thank she you. She can keep that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I had the same thing. I was the only one, I came out at 14, all the way through until I was finished sixth year. Uh, we say it different mm. in Scotland and people constantly are like, what's a sixth year? Um, and it's, uh, nobody, I swear to God, the moment they left that building, there was about 30 of them were like, oh, by the yeah. way, I was gay. And I'm of like, course. You could have told me, love, like I've been sitting here like a barren wasteland. Something could have happened, you know? Thinking, I'd really like to suck your dick. What? Yeah. what? Exactly. <laughs> and now you tell me? Now you tell me? <laughs> As I say, I was a wee fat boy with a bowl cut, so it did. Uh, uh, yeah. So was... Yeah. Uh, this is a, like, this is a, not so much a podcast question, but a genuine question, because my entire life was sort of new labour. Do you know what I mean? I was uh, six when they get in. So my whole school life was a labour life. Um, and I was really shocked, actually, when Tories get in. Because, like, everyone else was like, actually, by the way, it's kind of normal. But I was like, what are you all doing? You're mental. Um, 
what was that like as a, as a queer kid growing up in such a kind of, I was a very, very anti-gay government. Yeah, yeah really anti-gay. I mean, you'd had Thatcher, who was literally saying, the inalienable right to be gay. <laughs> Fuck off, you stupid old magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was genuinely horrendous. That doesn't mean that all the teachers were horrendous, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did sneak things in. When I think about how brave our uh, English department was, um, with the material that they were uh, putting out there. You know, they, we had these amazing teachers. Um, Mrs. Moffitt was the one who sort of stood out for me. She talked about sex all the time. She was outrageous. Um, hilarious, bonkers. Uh, we did A Taste of Honey, which clearly has a gay character in it. And, and she would talk about it. Um, and... Uh, Mr. Kennedy, just the English department, I mean, most gay kids anyway, have an English teacher to thank for the fact that they've not killed themselves. You know, if you've not topped yourself, it's usually because there is a teacher in the English department who is just brilliant Mm -hmm. and gets it and understands that the world is not black and white. There are all these multitudes of shades of color in there. Um, so we had a, I was really, really lucky to have great teachers. The kids were horrendous because that's what was being reinforced all the time. And we'd mm-hmm. had all these adverts about gay, um, about AIDS, you know, where the AIDS is going, mm-hmm. destroying lives, killing whole gener, you know, all this shite. Um, and, and that, and that created that environment. It made a very easy scapegoat of gay people. And we're seeing now the Tories are playing exactly the same game, but with trans people, you know, yeah. so we're seeing exactly the same pattern. But, oh, let's find a real small subject of the community and let's, <laughs> let's focus all of our hatred and anger on them. That's what really fucks me off with um, gay people that don't really support trans people because it's like, how short is your fucking memory? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, how short, short very do you short. think that that is not just you 20 years ago? Like, And also that it doesn't then lead to you. Yeah. That's the thing because that's just the start. That's how it all works. We start with them, we create the division and then we move on. And uh, five, six years ago, the Evangelical Church in America wrote it down. They said, our express intention is to separate the LGBTQ community. They wrote it down as one of their mission statements. And that's exactly what they're doing. You know, this whole turf malarkey, they've rejected it in America because feminists know that actually what you're arguing for by saying that trans people don't exist, trans women don't exist because trans men very rarely come into the conversation. Why is that? Mm. Who knows? Um, the, the arguments that they're using are exactly the same as the evangelical far right, mm-hmm. which is that these are what you are, you know, so you have to be these things in order to be a woman. So 
actually that is the complete antithesis of feminism feminism is that you do not have to be any of these things that is not a, a thing the entire point of feminism is that you can make the choices in your life to be whatever it is you want so it's a it's a, a real uh it's it's a nonsensical argument and then also this bullshit about uh the danger in bathrooms and still men will use it to get into bathrooms. Well, let's have a look at the evidence because mm -hmm. trans people have been able to use their uh, preferred bathroom or uh, facility since 2004, their preferred changing room or bathroom. So where's the huge influx? Where's the huge rise in this violence that you didn't need a, a GRC to do that. You didn't need a, a gender recognition certificate to go for a piss. You just had to say, okay, this is my preferred place. So mm, where is that huge? There isn't one. And why isn't there one? Because your argument is bullshit. That's why. And, and so you roll it back and you go, well, so it starts with them and then actually it feeds onto us because it mm -hmm. is exactly the same arguments that we were hearing in the 80s and 90s about gay people. Exactly the same. The thing that really fucked me off was I saw the stat of like, I think it's one in five trans people are homeless at one point in their life. And I was just like, I cannot sit and like happily see that happen again. I'm just a tiny little part of it, do you know what I mean? But it's why I help with student pride. It's why, mm. like, I want to make sure that that's an open environment for everybody so that we're not dealing with a shit again yeah. where some, you know, cropped up little gay boy that thinks because he got a wee bit more rights than he did last week thinks that he can get away with treating trans person the way that someone else has treated him. And, that they, and that they won't be just taken away like that. Yeah. Because mm. they absolutely can be. And all you have to do is look at the uh, the GRC con consultation where it was massively in favor of making it easier for trans people to self-identify. You know, we're talking like in the 70%. And yet they have just ignored it because it doesn't fit with what the conservatives have, have wanted. You know, they've gone, oh, well, it's been skewed because trans people have answered it. Well, of course, trans people have answered it. It's about them. Mm. <laughs> Uni was a, a big point in my life where I started to become more interested in politics. I didn't have as deep an understanding as I do now. And mm -hmm. some of that is because uh, you just need time. You need time to uh, understand um, not only everybody's kind of political agenda, but also the in economic impact of that, the impact on health, the impact on education, the impact on um, uh, law and order, social services, and how, because all of these things interact with each other and have an impact on each other. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you just need more time. Because it's just too much to pull all of those threads together when you're 18 and you're trying to, you know, go out, party, drink as much as you can and dance and do all the things that you're supposed to do. Sow the wild oats. Yeah. <laughs> any, is there any uh, wild oats stories that you could get tell us? Um, oh, no, even better. What's the wild oats story that you can tell? The wildest. Okay, so the night that we graduated, the night of graduation, the night of graduation, I got so drunk. And uh, 
whatever bar we went in, I was getting off with somebody. It didn't matter where it was, where it, whether it was a straight bar or a gay bar, just got off with somebody, whoever. Oh, hello. Kiss me. Um, <laughs> and then we went to uh, Poptastic because that was still a thing um, in Manchester. We went to Poptastic and my and James, my best mate, he was also in Manchester that night. And uh, he said it was one of the most incredible things he'd ever seen because I just went round the room getting off with everybody. He said in the space of about 10 minutes, I got off with 20 different people. And I was getting off with this one guy. I just sort of inserted myself between him and his mate who was chatting. Uh, got off with him and then turned around and got off with his mate. <laughs> I think I just watched that episode of the God thing, the Queen, uh, where Vin- uh, Vinegar's going round the club, kind of kissing yeah, twenty-five was, guys. That was that was me. That was me. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish saying, that was me. <laughs> yeah, I still, I still don't get any ulcers or uh, what are they called? What are the warts on your face? Cold sores. Cold sores. I still don't get any cold sores. Touch wood, touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. <laughs> when you became Davina full-time, um, going off of the kind of political thing, that's quite a political thing to be a drag queen. And I've always thought, um, what was that like, that kind of first time of you're officially Davina De Campo and you're doing this full-time? What was that kind of road up to all your successes? Yeah, I mean, it took a long time to get to that place mm-hmm. um, anyway because obviously I'd done a contemporary arts degree so my uh, approach to making work was contemporary art mm-hmm. so it was a bit more cerebral it was a bit more difficult um, that doesn't necessarily work in a pub environment anybody starting out <laughs> don't try and put a contemporary art performance on stage in a pub. (laughs) They won't enjoy it. Um, So it took me a while to get out of that sort of theatre mindset and Mm -hmm. into a cabaret mindset. Um, It's a very different animal and it wasn't something that I was used to doing. So it it took a long time. Um, And I, I... I've been asked this week, you know, when was the first time that Davina performed? And I, I don't honestly know. Uh, because originally, I'd, I, my name was Madame Faracina. She talks like this. She's total Italian. And she's singing all the Italian arias. And like, I mean, at half ten on an evening, people couldn't give a shit about Odell. You know, they don't, they don't want that. Me going, oh! they're like, Where's Rihanna? This is shite. Um, Which they're correct. They are correct. It is not the right place. Um, So, yeah, that took a long time. So I don't, we killed her off. A chandelier dropped on her head and she died. Oh, bad times. Um, It took longer than it should have done. Uh, Rest in peace, darling. Yeah, sorry. Bye, (laughs) Farachina. Tra-ra. so then when Divina became Divina, I was working at um, a nightclub that my now husband runs, uh, ran, which shut down now, gone, um, called The Factory. 
And it was the sort of first six, nine months of being there um, that I changed my name mm-hmm. and became Davina De Campo. Uh, and it, we did a, a Name the Drag Queen um, competition <laughs> and everybody's names were just pure shite. They were awful. You know, they were like... Um, I guess yeps. <laughs> <laughs> Behave, David. <laughs> they were like poppy stockings or uh, Philomena arse. <laughs> you know, they were just awful, really oh. gross and, and ta- really tacky shite names. And I just thought, I don't think that's really what I want. I mm. want something that tells people what it is that they're going to get. So I always sing some opera or some classical music in my set, but I always like uh, phrase it as I've got to do this because it's part of my contract, which it actually is. <laughs> it's not. Um, and then and then we sing loads of party stuff and I'll do rewrites and it, it's camp. So mm. you're going to get the Italian from Divina and then you're going to get the camp from Di Campo. So, you know, the name kind of tells you what it is that you're going to get. And I think that's important as a drag queen. So if I was going out as... Um, as like Dixie Normus. Well, I would expect Dixie Normus to be singing lots of country and Western songs because you're mm-hmm. called Dixie. If you could go back, you're 18 year old, is it anything you would do differently? <gasps> oh God, is there anything I would do differently? I would make a choice earlier. Make the choice. Uh, I spent a lot, I mean, I had a a lot of amazing experiences through my 20s, like really, really super lucky. Um, I mean, also lots of shit things, but lots of amazing opportunities and experiences and uh, projects and stuff like that. But they weren't necessarily targeted. So uh, if I had made a, a choice to be a bit more targeted about working in drag, I think I would have been much further on than I am. How much more further on can you be? I'd have taken over the world, girl. (laughs) I'd have taken over by now. There would would not have needed to be any RuPaul's Drag Race (laughs) because it would have been mine. (laughs) And that's, that's, you know, reality. If I had... um, if I'd spent more time really uh, targeted working in in that one area, uh, I think I would be much further on than I am. But I wouldn't have the same range of skills and background knowledge that I do now. You know, so it's a it's a real difficult uh, mm. toss up because you know everything that you do and everything that you experience uh, that creates who you are. Um, I probably would have left my boyfriend at the time then. I tried to leave him when I was 18, uh, but he he was not well. Uh, he'd had a mental breakdown and, um, and so I stayed with him for another two years until he was at a point emotionally and, uh, you know, where I felt like, okay, he's at a point now where he's strong enough that he doesn't need me now. And I, I have got to get out of this relationship, actually, because it's making me um, crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not an arselic at all, but like that says so much about you as a person that you can sit Mm. and do that for two years. 
Well, he was and, threatening to kill himself. So, and he'd um, had a he'd had a breakdown. Um, we were together like that that first year. We were together uh, six months in. He had a breakdown, um, and was just really like all over the place emotionally. And then I tried to leave him when I went to university. I was like, now's the time. We just need to, this is, we've had a great time, but you know, now is the time. Um, and, and he was not in the place where, where that would be possible. Um, and it's not that he was ho horrible or he just had a lot of his own issues and, um, was very controlling because mm. he had his own issues, you know, so because of his own insecurities, he was very controlling. Um, and, you know, when you're at uni and you're trying to do everything, you know, you're trying to learn as much as you possibly can read as much as you can be in as many different things as you can, because this opportunity only happens now, you know, you, you can't wake up again in five years and go, Oh, you know what? I should do all of that again. And this time I'll do it right. Um, and so he was pressuring me for, for time. And, and I've always been very sort of focused on, on work, you know? Mm. So, um, so we got to the point where I felt like he was, he was all right. And, and right now's the time girl. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> How did that conversation go? Um, I mean, it was awful. It was awful for both of us. Um, it was absolutely the right time though. So you've been doing Davina for 10 years. Mm. What's, what's it like, the difference? So you say drag sort of on and off for like since uni. What's the difference from then to now? Like, oh, been... massive. Absolutely massive. Yeah. It, part of that is the effect of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. And then part of it is the effect of the internet itself. You know, just the fact that now it is so much easier to get things. You know, so like just getting eyebrow wax. So I don't have eyebrows anymore. I shake <laughs> them off um, because it saves 20 minutes every time I have to get into track. So I'm like, oh, pfft. I'm from Yorkshire. I ain't wasting no time. <laughs> uh, but even just getting eyebrow wax, you know, that used to be so hard 10 years ago. You had to go, the web pages didn't work properly and you had to send in like an email form and then like paying for things was, you had to ring up and, Whereas now, two clicks, got it, mm. done, you know? And you want to learn how to do a cut crease? There's 500 different tutorials on YouTube to teach you. You want to do a smoky eye? Same. You want to do like a club kid face? There are millions of different options for you to choose from now. That was not the case back then. And like the social media that 15 years ago when I was starting was MySpace. If you ever used MySpace and you tried to look at somebody's profile, it took like five minutes for their page to load up because every fucker was putting like <laughs> dancing flowers and goddamn rainbows and all this shite going on in the background. So just the, like the amount of scripts that was going on was insane. So it took, and of course the download speed was like, well, it's like the, internet that I've got in Grand Canaria. It's like carrier pigeon, you know, there's <laughs> some little fucking creatures bringing each little pixel and going, oh, there we go. Trottle back, get another, oh, there you go. Uh, so it just took forever. Like everything took 
forever to find out. Trying to watch a video was impossible. <laughs> like it was hard enough to just get a picture to load up. So getting a video was like, it took forever. Um, so now you don't have that. You just have instant access to all of this information and this wealth of, uh, of different places to draw inspiration from. Um, so in some ways, that's great because it allows you to build up those skills. In other ways, I think it can, um, it can squash your genuine creativity because a lot of the time what you're doing is you're looking at what other people have done and not mimicking it, but you're not make, you're not doing your own thing. You know, you're doing what they did, but in your own way, mm -hmm. rather than thinking, okay, what is it that I actually want to say? And then just working from that. Um, swings and roundabouts, isn't it? But it is so much easier now to do drag, just to find stuff. It's so much easier. Um, in terms of what people do, that's a bit different, you know, than 10 years ago. There's a lot more focus on the look than there was 10 years ago. Mm. It was enough, literally, to be Derek from Burnley in a gold <laughs> sequin frock with a blonde beehive that you bought from Smithy's and some budgie blue and some lipstick on as long as you got on stage and you were entertaining. Well, I think we've took up enough of your time, Davina. Oh. I think we've got... Hang on, I've got one question. Oh. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> Reese hasn't it's, asked it's, a single it's my question. Time. <laughs> I just chatted shit the entire time. <laughs> Literally, you can have a chat. I'll just listen. <laughs> um, my question for you is, um, so you, you were on The Voice and you were on All Together Now. Did that prepare you for drag race um nothing you ever do in your entire life will ever prepare you for drag race nothing at all could it is the most insane experience i've ever had the amount of pressure is crazy and there is no <laughs> would I, probably yes i probably would <laughs> Because this time it. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be such a mental case. <laughs> <laughs> I was so anxious about it, about not making an ass out of myself or the UK, you know, because I was really conscious of this is the first time the world are, is going to see UK drag in this time. Yeah. Uh, apart from Mrs. Brown's boys. So it's important that we don't, it is, you know, like yeah. RuPaul says, don't fuck it up. It's really important actually that we don't. Partly because as the first set of queens out of the gate, if you do fuck it up, you fucked it up for season two, you fucked it up for season three and season four and season five and season six, because maybe they don't get to happen. Um, so I piled the pressure on myself Whereas now I'd be like, well, I don't need to worry about you lot. This is about me now. I can just have a nice time. Um, is there anything you'd like to mention beforehand? Anything just before we finish up? Well, I should tell you, because otherwise I'll get, you know, booted out of management. I should tell you that on Friday the 20th, I have got an EP that is on release. It's called Red and Silver. 
uh, it's a four-track release, three originals and a retelling of The Twelve Days of Christmas. Um, I have a, a Christmas special, which is with Fruit TV. Um, that is called Red and Silver Christmas. Oh, <laughs> did you see what I did there? <laughs> uh, and then I also have my one-woman tour, which is at, all around the UK in December. Fingers crossed, Boris. Please don't fuck me over. <laughs> Thank you so much, Davina. Honestly, I've had the best time. And I've had a lovely time as well. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to get you at Student Pride properly in the oh, actual... Sorry. Yeah, well, well <laughs> you, now you're here, you're, we'll be getting you somewhere. Exactly. But yeah, thank you very much and see ya. Lots of love to you both. Thank you so much. Lovely meeting you, darling. You too. Take care. Davina is such a laugh, right? It was so wonderful to speak to her today. It's great to know that we all kind of live such similar lives at university. Next week, we have the stunning Campbell Kenneford. The trans model and activist shares how she responded to trolls online, the education and barriers for trans people, as well as discrimination within the community. All our episodes go live on Thursdays, so subscribe to the podcast to get notified and make sure you don't miss a thing. And don't forget, tickets are now available for National Student Pride 2021. Just head to our website, studentpride.co.uk, and get your free tickets now to our week-long event starting April 19th. Until next week, I'm Morgan. Please don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next week for more sweet, sweet ASMR voiceovers. Bye! (laughs)